Section 26 of the Watergate Report, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by C. Dobbs 7 from Cincinnati, Ohio. Final Report of the Senate Select Committee on Presidential Campaign Activities, Volume 1, Section 26. Section F. Activities Regarding the Elderly. Subsection 1. Use of Federal Resources The evidence the committee has gathered indicates that federal resources were employed to secure the support of older Americans. Exhibit number 36 is a November 9, 1972 memorandum from Webster Dan Todd, director of the CRP Older Americans Voter Block Group, to then-campaign director Clark McGregor. This document, which is a final report on campaign activities respecting the elderly, states under the heading Strong Points, quote, I doubt if there has ever before been such a massive effort by a political organization to involve itself directly in the daily lives of so many. This effort, of course, can only be accomplished by an incumbent situation and the available resources of the administration through Arthur Fleming. Elliot Richardson and the Domestic Affairs Council were maximized. Elsewhere in the same memorandum, Todd refers to an extensive and coordinated use of USG resources. Sub-subsection A, Government Brochures. Todd, in a staff interview, stated that several departments and agencies prepared for campaign use and at government expense brochures reflecting their services for the elderly. Todd stated that the requests for these brochures originated with him, but were funneled through the domestic council. Todd was unaware whether the departments and agencies involved had perceived that the requests actually came from CRP. Various documents obtained by the Select Committee also indicate that government brochures were prepared for political purposes. Evans Exhibit No. 6 is an April 14, 1972 document entitled Proposed Communications Support Program for Older Americans Division Committee for the Re-Election of the President. Under subsection E, entitled Brochures slash Direct Mail, the following entry appears. Quote, Government agencies, each agency who has senior citizen programs, will be asked to produce an informational brochure stating just exactly what the agency can do for older Americans. One will be released every two weeks, beginning September 1. The agencies who will be asked to participate are Action, Hue, HUD, DOT, OEO, agriculture, labor." Unquote. On the cover of this document, Todd wrote, quote, gangbusters, let's make it happen. It appears that at least Hugh, HUD, DOA, DOL, Action, OEO, and VA actually produce brochures. Copies of these brochures are contained in exhibit number 38. The Comptroller General has stated that the cost of producing and mailing the DOA, HUD, DOL, Action, OEO, and VA brochures totaled around $263,000. The Comptroller General noted that these six publications were distributed in accordance with lists and preprinted mailing labels supplied by the White House. He also reported the assertions of various agency officials that this was the first time a concerted effort to produce a number of aging brochures had been made by an incumbent administration. Other campaign and White House documents strongly suggest a political purpose behind the brochures. On June 7, 1972, William Novelli of CRP wrote a confidential memorandum entitled Government White Papers and Brochures on Older Americans to Todd and L.J. Evans. 
This memorandum is a review of the brochures project as of that date and also contains suggestions as to how to proceed. Under the heading Background, Novelli wrote, quote, We are all in agreement that brochures produced and distributed by government departments and agencies will be important in persuading older voters to re-elect the president. These brochures will be nonpartisan enough to break through the election year aversion to political rhetoric, but will be strongly supportive of the president, unquote. After outlining his views as to the contents of the brochures, Novelli, under the heading Distribution, Timing, and Coordination, stated, quote, The agencies and departments should be requested to develop the brochures immediately, along with a plan for mass distribution. We can indirectly check copy and also stagger the release of the brochures to ensure a steady stream between now and late September, unquote. Exhibit number 40 is an August 4, 1972 CRP memorandum for Clark McGregor from Fred Malik, entitled Older Americans' Progress. Under the caption Administration Support, Malik stated, quote, The Older Americans Project team has been particularly imaginative in the use of administration resources to support the re-election. Specifically, they have arranged for each department and agency with programs that help the elderly to develop and distribute a brochure that explains these programs. The first of the brochures, Department of Agriculture, is off the presses and mentions the president prominently, not surprising since we control the content of each brochure. This brochure and subsequent ones will be direct mailed to approximately one million persons." Unquote. Mr. Evans, in his executive session before the committee on May 28, 1974, vigorously denied that he perceived the primary purpose for these brochures as political. The main goal, he said, was to inform the elderly of the benefits and programs available to them, and, he contended, the brochures were mainly informational, not political. He stated that the idea for most of these brochures evolved in 1971, before aging activists at CRP materialized. He said he made no attempt to stagger distribution of brochures for political benefit, although he felt it would be advantageous if periodic distribution eventuated. He conceded that others in the White House and CRP may have supported the preparation of brochures mainly for political reasons, but emphasized that this was not his chief motivation. He stated that his memorandums regarding these publications often sound in political terms because he was trying to convince others to support this project. These comments by Evans should be compared with the remarks in May 23, 1972, Confidential Eyes Only Memorandum, written by him to Todd and others on the subject, Government Brochures. Quote, I have been informed of disgruntlement expressed at this morning's breakfast concerning the development of government aging brochures, so that we will be united in our efforts to make this a successful program on behalf of the President... I would like to take your time to review the history regarding the development of these brochures. In late February, Chuck Colson and I decided that the departments and agencies involved with aging were not letting older voters know, as well as they should or could, what was being done by the president on their behalf. One of the vehicles we decided to utilize to overcome this was the development of a series of pamphlets for mass distribution. The record contains a number of other exhibits authored by Evans indicating political motivations behind these brochures. While these are collected at Evans Exhibit Numbers 7 through 16, a few illustrations are useful here. Thus, in response to Todd's requests of July 14 and 24, 1972 as to a schedule for production and publication of certain brochures, 
Evans responded on July 24 with a detailed schedule indicating when each of the brochures then under consideration would be mailed. And on July 27, he sent Malik, then at CRP, a memorandum that read, quote, Attached is the first government aging brochure to come off the printing press. It still has a slight bureaucratic flavor to it, but I think it gets across the president's concerns as well as emphasizes help in solving the problems of older persons. The original mailing will distribute 950,000 of these brochures. This will leave us 550,000 remaining brochures for distribution to senators and congressmen, field organizations, and other groups that may want to reach. We will be sending out seven additional brochures at a rate of approximately one every two weeks, and I will forward these to you as they come off the press." Unquote. Evans explained his memorandum stating the distribution of the brochures would be staggered for maximum impact with the assertion that, since it appeared the brochures would be inadvertently be finalized at different times, he told those interested that they would produce at intervals to reduce the pressure from those persons concerned with political impact. Evans also reported to Colson on these brochures as reflected in a June 30, 1972 weekly staff report. Colson wrote, Excellent, by Evans's account of the progress of these publications. Colson, however, apparently became concerned about the political nature of the brochures. An unsigned memorandum to Malik, dated August 3, states in part, quote, Danny called this AM and said that Evans told him at breakfast today that, quote, Colson is having second thoughts, cold feet, about the seven additional brochures, unquote. Apparently, Volpe called Colson and said DLT didn't want to do a brochure, too political, with a quote from P on the cover, etc., and this must have gotten Colson thinking. Danny is quite alarmed and just wanted you to be aware of the above in case he makes a desperate plea to get you to put in a strong call to Colson to get him to back off, unquote. It appears that DOT did not produce a brochure, but the other six pamphlets involved with this note, those from HUD, DOA, DOL, Action, OEO, and VA, were prepared and distributed. Evans earlier had entertained doubts concerning the government production of brochures that were too political in nature. Exhibit number 39 is a March 16, 1972 confidential memorandum from Evans to Todd entitled Older American Pamphlets, which sets out various options for the preparation of a brochure entitled The President Speaks to Older Americans, again, which was to consist entirely of quotations from and photographs of the President. Evans recognized in this memorandum that the preparation of a political pamphlet by GPO could result in a charge that, quote, the Republicans got the GPO to do its campaign literature. He also noted that the purchase of a government pamphlet for use by the campaign organization would have to be made through some dummy organization to avoid the contention that the pamphlet was political. Sub-subsection B, Other Uses of Government Funds. The Evans to Colson weekly staff report referenced above contains other examples of proposed expenditures of federal funds for what appear to be primarily campaign purposes. At page two, Evans wrote, quote, It appears that Hugh has agreed to produce 60 copies of the Richardson Fleming Roca TV program taping. This will then be distributed to simultaneously to the top TV stations in all of our key states. It is a very political show which stresses time and time again the fantastic things the president has done for older people, which is why the need for simultaneous distribution. This should be shown in late July or early August. In any event, it will be shown before the president is nominated." Unquote. There is a handwritten good by this entry written by Colson. 
This document also comments that, with Malik's help, an individual, paid by Hugh, would be brought on board to act as Arthur Fleming's scheduling advancement from now until the election. An earlier memorandum from Evans to Malik indicates that this individual was hired as a consultant to Hugh, and suggests that he maintain close ties with the tour office at the re-election committee. Subsection 2. The Federation of Experienced Americans Particularly significant are the administration's activities concerning the Federation of Experienced Americans. This organization, which was created on March 29, 1972, on White House initiative, was the recipient in 1972 of two major federal awards. Number one, a DOL contract for $1,540,000 for services from June 30, 1972 to January 31, 1974, to train and provide work for 350 poor elderly persons. And two, an OEO grant of $399,839 for the period November 1, 1972 to February 28, 1974, for developing new methods to overcome the special problems of the Spanish-speaking elderly poor. The GAO concerning these two awards has now concluded that, quote, the grant and contract awards were processed outside normal procedures. Officials of Labor and OEO said that both the grant and the contract had substantial White House backing, unquote. As to the Labor Department contract, the GAO report, page 13, contained the following statement, quote, The former Assistant Secretary, Malcolm R. Lovell, Jr., advised us that the White House took an active role in directing the Labor Department as to how the expansion monies were to be spent. The White House staff member involved was identified as L.J. Evans, Jr., according to former Assistant Secretary. The White House wanted the $13 million in expansion monies to go to organizations considered friendly to the administration. Labor's initial allocation plan did not satisfy this requirement, and according to former Assistant Secretary, Mr. Evans and the former Executive Assistant to the Assistant Secretary, Brad Gurdon, worked out a compromise plan, which called for awarding a $1 million contract to an organization to be selected by the White House. This occurred on February 1972, unquote. The GAO report continues, quote, The former executive assistant told us the White House wanted labor to cut back and or terminate funding for two of the Operation Mainstream National Contractors, the National Council on the Aging and the National Council of Senior Citizens. Funding to these two contractors, considered enemies of the White House, was not terminated by DOL, even though the record shows that on February 28, 1972, they were given substantially less funding than the amounts originally recommended on December 18, 1971, by Robert J. Brown, Associate Manpower Administrator for the U.S. Training and Employment Service. However, the White House-sponsored FEA, which was not incorporated until March 29, 1972, did receive a $1 million plus contract to begin on June 30, 1972. The GAO also found White House involvement concerning the OEO grant. Its report reads, in pertinent part, quote, An OEO official advised us that a White House staff member, L.J. Evans Jr., directed OEO to fund the proposal from FEA, which was for a major project concerning elderly Spanish-speaking people, OEO officials told us that Mr. Evans also instructed OEO to limit its forthcoming contract extension with the National Council on the Aging and the National Council of Senior Citizens 
be expected to award a grant or contract to FEA to provide a full range of professional training and technical assistance for OEO aging programs that have been provided by the National Council on the Aging for many years with funds from OEO and other agencies. Continuing, the executive assistant told us the FEA proposal was first brought to his attention by the OEO deputy director and that he met FEA's president at the initial meeting at Mr. Evans's office. He said that after OEO received the proposal, Mr. Evans telephoned him to express his support for FEA and then had frequent contract with him until the grant was awarded." Unquote. A memorandum to the record dated November 17, 1972 by Irvin M. Eitream, Chief Older Persons Program, Office of Operations, OEO, sets out at length his views of the circumstances surrounding the FEA award. Quote, all of the circumstances surrounding the processing and awarding of the above grant have been so irregular that I am taking this means to record and document some of these circumstances to protect myself and perhaps some other people within the agency in the event of possible future embarrassing disclosures. I was informed by a staff member of the Office of Program Review in the early part of September that, number one, the agency had been ordered by a junior White House staff member to fund a proposal from the Federation of Experienced Americans, an outfit of which I have never heard of, despite my intimate familiarity with all recognized national organizations in the aging field, to conduct a major program concerned with elderly Spanish-speaking people. Number two, that the same White House staff member had instructed OEO to limit its forthcoming contract extension, effective September 24, with the National Council on the Aging to a six-month period after which we would be expected to award a grant or contract to the Federation of Experienced Americans to provide the full range of professional training and technical assistance that for our aging programs have been provided by NCOA over a period of years. Continuing, late on the afternoon of October 30, I was given a copy of a letter from David Brody, president of FEA, dated October 20, which contained some modifications of the work plan and a loosely constructed budget amounting to a few dollars under $400,000. I was told the grant must be completely processed and signed by the end of the following day, October 31. I was informed that the work program and budget were to be accepted as presented with no further opportunity for negotiating work or budget provisions. At a small briefing session on the morning of October 31, conducted in the atmosphere of conspiracy and attended by Brody, we were told that the normal agency requirement for review board approval had been waived, that normal approval of the mayor of Washington and certain governors would be handled informally, and perhaps by telephone, and that standard procedures for announcing the grant were to be bypassed, at least for the time being. Continuing. In summary, I have the following reservations about this grant. Number one. I consider the grantee to be totally unqualified to do the job. Number two, I think the grant can produce nothing that is not already well researched and tested. It is a weak, poorly developed plan and inappropriate for the use of Section 252 funds. Number three, the budget of $399,839 is grossly excessive. A planning grant of this nature should not exceed $75,000 to $90,000. Number four, the urgency and secrecy with which the grant was pushed through were highly irregular. Never in my long experience in the federal government have I experienced anything approaching the impropriety of this grant transaction. Number five, 
I sense that I have been used as a professional program specialist and titular head of the OEO's Older Persons Program and as a veteran civil servant to give this grant some semblance of legitimacy and suspect that my professional reputation may be damaged as a result. Number six, I am appalled by the remaining possibility that we may have to reward a grant or contract to FEA for the highly complex and sophisticated professional T and TA services needed by our aging program grantees. FEA does not have and cannot within a period of several years, if ever, acquire an acceptable degree of competence to perform these functions. I am convinced this course would be utterly destructive to our aging programs. An award to FEA for this purpose would offend the entire aging constituency in the country, knowledgeable members of both parties in the Congress, and our own CAAs and SES programs. No service at all would be preferable to a contract with FEA, both from the programmatic and political standpoints." Unquote. It appears that Dan Todd was also concerned about the White House sponsorship of FEA. In a handwritten memorandum to Malik, apparently prepared after the Watergate break-in June 17, 1972, but before June 30, 1972, Todd stated, quote, The Federation of Experienced Americans has become a matter of great concern to those of us working the elderly. I have done as much legwork as is possible for my position and believe the matter now deserves fast attention from higher up. Number one, I anticipate an extremely unfavorable reaction among aging organizations when this group begins to move, such that it could totally undermine the president's credibility with OAs and cost considerable votes. Number two, involvement of White House personnel in questionable activities involving a million dollars of USG funds funneled through dubious outsiders could make the Watergate episode look tiny. This has every potential of a major scandal, if not brought under control. Number three, ASF wants to talk directly with Secretary Hodgkinson as DOL funds are involved. Once he does this, I'm afraid the whole thing will become public. All that I have are allegations, nothing that would stand up in court, but this will be aimed at the press where proof isn't needed, particularly founding ITT and Watergate. I urge your attention to this matter. I've done all I can for my shop. If there is any possibility, I would recommend that the grant be canceled." Unquote. In hand on this document, Malik wrote, discussed with Colson, and what does Evans say to all of this? Todd, in a staff interview, stated that Malik told him Colson had advised that FEA was a legitimate organization. Todd, however, continues to be disturbed by the FEA matter as demonstrated by memorandums from him to Malik on this subject on September 11 and November 6, 1972. The June 30 weekly staff report to Colson from Evans also reflects Todd's concern and reveals a White House purpose to injure anti-administration organizations receiving federal funding. Quote, I have met with Malik concerning the new aging organization, and he was very impressed and very cooperative in getting his guys to move out in assuring us funding at our foe's expense. However, after having chatted with Todd, he raised cries of alarm that such an organization would hurt us politically because we would cut funds to democratic groups, thereby leading them to criticize us. As you are well aware, groups like NCSC are going to criticize us anyway. Unfortunately, while I told Todd about the organization in confidence, he immediately told Fleming, was particularly upset and called Malik. Malik seemed to understand the value of the organization and is still working with us, but I have had to do some shoring operations with Fleming. 
I don't think this requires any action on your part, but you should be aware of it. Unquote. Colston wrote in hand by this entry, keep Malik on board. Mr. Evans confirmed in his testimony that he was involved to some degree in the process leading to the DOL and OEO awards. He denied, however, that he had directed either DOL or OEO to fund FEA, while admitting that he expressed his views that funding would be desirable. Evans claimed he lacked the power to direct either institution to make an award. He also denied that he attempted to induce DOL and OEO to terminate or cut back existing funding to the National Council on Aging or the National Council of Senior Citizens, but did concede that he endeavored to limit any additional funding they might receive. GAO has conducted a programmatic review of FEA's DOL contract. It concluded that, in significant respects, FEA's operations were ineffective, deficient, or in violation of its DOL contract. GAO also performed a financial review of FEA's activities regarding both the DOL contract and the OEO grant. It concluded that FEA's accounting system and related internal controls were inadequate. As a result of these deficiencies, GAO questioned the expenditures of approximately $184,000 under the DOL contract and $30,000 under the OEO grant. Both DOL and OEO have concluded that it would not be in the best interests of the government to refund FEA's present programs. Section G, Other Related Activities. Subsection 1, Conduct at the Veterans Administration. The Select Committee is in receipt of information indicating that in late 1971 and 1972, efforts were taken to politicize the Veterans Administration for purposes of the President's re-election. This information, which has been verified in all significant respects by the Select Committee, was first supplied to the Committee by Senator Alan Cranston, Chairman of the Subcommittee on Health and Hospitals of the Committee on Veterans Affairs. A complete report on the Subcommittee's investigation is found at Exhibit Number 48. It appears that in late 1971, Glenn C. Wallace, then Special Assistant to the Administrator, solicited $100 contributions for the President's election campaign from VA employees on federal facilities. The contributions were in connection with a $1,000-a-plate dinner held to pay tribute to the President. The contribution of $100 gave the contributor the chance to draw for one of the two tickets to the dinner that, besides the ticket reserved for the Administrator, were available to VA personnel. The evidence collected by the Cranston Subcommittee also indicates that the Administrator, Donald Johnson, held a meeting in early 1972 of top VA officials where he indicated to those present that key officials in the agency would be expected to lend their full support to the re-election effort, including participation in campaign activities, and that the affairs of the agency until the election would be conducted with a partisan consideration in mind. Documents obtained by the subcommittee indicate that the VA was, to some degree, politicized during the 1972 campaign. Exhibit number 49 is an undated document from CRP files concerning campaign plans for veterans' leaders, apparently prepared by or for the Veterans Committee to re-elect the president. This document, at page 20, under the heading Administration and Initiatives and Activities, states, Veterans Administration. The VA is the point of contact for all civilian veterans who utilize any government veteran benefits and has received favorable responses from Vietnam-era veterans for their programs to assist returning veterans in recent years. Because of these factors, the VA will be the primary agency used in the governmental effort to win the support of veterans. 
the VA administrator and designated officials within his agency will be responsible for executing the VA communications activities presented in the communications plan. The VA will develop program activities in the medical and education areas and coordinate with labor and the presidential advisory group on employment activities to focus attention on government initiatives to aid the veteran. The VA will review major construction announcements, grants, opening of new facilities, and legislative actions, and coordinate communication plans for these items with the committee. The VA will recommend program initiatives and action on special veterans issues and plan these activities with the committee." Unquote. Exhibit number 50 is an updated final report for the CRP Veterans Division found in CRP files. At page 4 it states, quote, the campaign staff's effectiveness was significantly enhanced by its close liaison with the Veterans Administration and coordination of campaign activity with the agency. Frequent contact and planning with the administrator of the VA to place spokesmen and start action programs made possible a positive veterans program throughout the campaign. Unquote. Subsection 2, the surrogate program advanced school. The evidence shows that in early 1972, an advanced school in connection with the surrogate candidate program was held in the executive office building under the direction of Bart Porter, head of the CRP surrogate program. The 50 to 75 attendees were mainly Schedule C government employees from various departments and agencies. Schedule C employees are subject to the Hatch Act, which forbids certain government employees from participating in political campaigns. There is evidence that the purpose of the advanced school was to train these employees for political missions. The advanced manual for the surrogate program, which is distributed at the school, states at page 4, quote, You should never lose sight of the political purpose of the trip and the fact that the actual events are in many cases only a vehicle for a more important purpose, namely, exposure of the administration's views to aid the president's re-election, unquote. The Select Committee has received evidence regarding several instances where hatched government employees advanced or accompanied surrogates on political trips. It is significant that FCRP paid all bills for surrogates and their aides on campaign trips, thus underlining the political nature of events in which hatched government employees were involved. However, according to John Faust, on April 15, 1972, joined CRP as chief of the advanced team, Advances handled by his office after that date were only performed by CRP employees or persons in private life. Subsection 3. Activities regarding military voters. Exhibit number 52 is a July 12, 1972, administratively confidential memorandum from John Grinaldus, then a major in the U.S. Marine Corps, and a White House fellow to Frederick Malik concerning military voters sets out a strategy for maximizing the president's support within that constituency. Attached to that memorandum is a recommended action plan for career military voter groups. The following entry appears in that plan. Quote, action step number four, surrogate speakers on military bases. DOD officials and U.S. congressmen. Purpose, to congratulate achievements of career military officers and NCOs on Vietnamization success and highlight President Nixon's leadership in process. Responsible organization, committee, McAdoo, in cooperation with the executive branch, Colson, and Hill party leadership. Concept of execution, committee will select most populous bases, 
then set up schedule with defense for their officials and U.S. congressmen from their respective states to visit the bases in September or October and tell the career force, who served in Vietnam, about how the president and the country appreciate their efforts and sacrifices in bringing about Vietnamization. Strong highlight on President Nixon. Cost should be nil since it should be charged off as official business. Unquote. Malik indicated his approval on this proposal on the document, but added the following comment in hand, but discussed with Porter first. As noted, Bart Porter was in charge of CRP's surrogate program. Mr. Richard McAdoo, who is referenced in this document, has informed the select committee that no surrogate speakers were actually sent to military bases. End of section 26. Recording by CDOB7 from Cincinnati, Ohio.